From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Frank Ling, and you're listening to the Graf Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Professor William Anderegg joins us to talk about the effects of nighttime warming on plant respiration. So stay tuned for all of this here on the Graf Science Show. Welcome back to the program, and this week we have a very special guest,、uh, Professor William Anderegg from Princeton University. And recently, he's published a very interesting article in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences on nighttime、uh, climate drivers for tropical respiration.、Uh, Professor Anderegg, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. So,、um, well, first of all,、um, congratulations on this article.、Uh, could you tell us what was the、uh, research questions that's driving、uh, this area of interest? Absolutely. The big picture question here is that Earth's ecosystems across the globe currently take up a large amount of carbon from the atmosphere.、Uh, they this is primarily in forests, and Earth's forests. Take up about a quarter of the carbon dioxide that humans emit every year. Now that's a huge benefit to society. It's worth trillions of dollars, and it very much slows down the speed of climate change. Now, what we don't know, however, is is that going to continue in the future? That there are some things that suggest some lines of evidence that suggest ecosystems and forests should keep taking up carbon from the atmosphere. And other lines that are more worrying that suggest they might slow down or even reverse and actually lose more carbon to the atmosphere, which would which would be largely disastrous. So it would speed up the pace of climate change, and it would coincide with large scale losses of our forests,、uh, probably through things like fire and, and drought. And the the question we wanted to ask here is: if you look globally, what What climate variables? We're thinking of things like temperature or precipitation. Are Earth's ecosystems most sensitive to, and how are those variables changing with climate change?、Uh, so that's the the broad scale question we wanted to ask. In your article, you talk about the、uh, nighttime effects on respiration. So, how how exactly is it warming during the nighttime? Right. So warming during the nighttime.、Uh, well, so obviously. Both nighttime and daytime temperatures have warmed quite a bit over the last century,、uh-huh. especially the last fifty years. But one of the big signs that、uh, this climate change is human caused is that there's these asymmetric warming patterns. That some seasons warm faster than others, and that actually nighttime tends to warm faster than daytime.、Uh, this is what you'd expect with greenhouse gases trapping the heat in. Kind of like a blanket over you at night, and so what we've seen is the nighttime temperatures have gone up faster than daytime temperatures.、Uh-huh. And we've known for decades that, like plants, like all biological organisms, the the speed at which they have to consume sugars to stay alive speeds up at higher temperatures. 
This is true of, of more or less any cell, that the higher the temperatures, the more it has to respire, and the more these processes speed up. Uh-huh. And what we observed is that if you test a lot of different alternate hypotheses, it really looks like the nighttime temperatures, especially in the tropics, where uh, a large fraction of the carbon in forests is, uh, these nighttime temperatures really rose to the top as being the most important driver of the, the global carbon uptake that we saw. I see. And so, so, you know, many people say that the Amazon is the lung of the Earth. Uh, in terms of the effects you've uh, you've observed around the world, what what particular stands out from the Amazon forest? Well, the Amazon is a great example. So the Earth's tropical forests, in particular, uh, do an incredible amount of that carbon uh, uptake that we mentioned. And the Amazon is one of the biggest regions, but there are also important tropical forests in Africa and South Southeast Asia. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Amazon's a really great example because it's one of these areas that uh, is under threat not only from from things like deforestation but also uh, from climate change. We've seen two very hot once-in-a-century droughts in the past 10 years in the Amazon. Uh, And with the El Nino underway uh, right now, it's possible that we might see actually a, a third stressful event in the Amazon in all in 10 years. When you look at the the climate records for the past century and just you know trying to dispel some of the noise we're hearing from the climate skeptics would you say what you're observing is unprecedented in in the history of observation? It is. Uh, so well so there it's it's incredibly clear that the earth is warming that that's supported by you know, tens of thousands of measurements. Uh, what's really important for ecosystems and for carbon uptake, and, and of course all of the, the incredible economic benefits they provide to society, is that the rate of warming, the, how much temperature, how quickly temperature is going up, is very, is already uh, far outside what we've seen uh, really in, in certainly the past 10,000 years, probably a lot longer than that. And that rate really matters because it, that rate is what, in essence, what ecosystems need to be able to track in order to survive. You can imagine how sort of slower changes in climate that happened in, uh, in the past, largely due to, or due to non-human causes. Plants and animals were able to track those, but the warming that humans are causing, especially in the past 50 to 60 years, it's really unprecedented in its rate and its magnitude. And what about feedbacks? Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, when it gets warmer, the the rate of respiration um, changes or slows down in some places. Uh, are there any positive feedbacks that we can be optimistic about? Yeah, well, so that's really the crux of the issue is that there are a lot of positive feedbacks and a lot of negative feedbacks. And we, as scientists, we're still racing to figure out which of those are going to dominate. So... A feedback that would be beneficial is that as CO2 concentrations rise in the atmosphere, plants can take up more of it. Right. Uh, but it's not clear whether that's going to be the most important feedback. It's actually looking like potentially hotter temperatures leading plants to respire more of their carbon and the things that come with climate change, like increasing drought stress, might actually swamp that CO2 signal. Uh, and 
So it's really the, it's going to be the balance between these, these several different feedbacks that determine both the future of a lot of our forests on this planet and also how fast climate change uh, proceeds. I understand you're also, you've been involved in the uh, IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and um, the recent uh, assessment report. Can, can you tell us a little bit of some of the general findings or conclusions that came out of the study? Sure. Uh, so the most recent IPCC reports are, in, in general, are, are broad syntheses of the scientific literature, and it's divided into three parts. The first part is, uh, you can think of it as the, the physical science. Uh, is climate change happening? Are we causing it? How do we know? And the, the second group is, what will the impacts be? Uh, what will be the positive impacts, the negative impacts, and, and how will this play out across many different sectors, things like agriculture, ecosystems. Um, and the third group, the third working group, is focused on what are the various options to adapt to climate change and also to uh, slow the pace of climate change, often called mitigate climate change. Now, the in terms of the first working group, the physical science, there really wasn't a lot new because that that part of the science has really been quite well established for uh, quite a long time. The, the big finding there, which has been largely the same for five to ten years, is that as scientists were incredibly confident that humans are causing the vast majority of warming we've seen in the past years. And this comes from a lot of different independent lines of evidence. Now, in the second group, which is what I was involved with, the really big take-home messages from this report were that we're starting to see major impacts of climate change around the world in all different sectors, and that by and large, these are negative and proceeding faster than we expected. So a good example was agriculture. We've started to see some fairly major influences of climate change on agriculture, and this tends to happen through climate extremes like drought and heat stress. Of course, we, we all know that we're in the middle of uh, COP21, where you know, policymakers on the road are trying to come up with a global agreement to, you know, as you mentioned, mitigate and adapt to climate change. Uh, a lot of the focus there is more on the energy side or the, or the mitigation side. Where do you see are some of the you know, potential policy areas that apply to forestry or, or the ecosystems? Right. So actually, forests have a fairly big uh, possible role to play in these negotiations in that uh, because they currently take up about a quarter of the carbon dioxide that we emit, uh, we want to preserve that functionality, so that especially means slowing the rates and stopping the rates of deforestation, so that we preserve the forests that, that exist currently. And then there's also some potential for perhaps expanding or reforesting certain areas. That the exciting thing about forests is that it's probably one of the cheapest and most effective ways to slow climate change. Uh, now, forests alone can't solve the problem. As, as evidenced by that they only take up a quarter, they're, they're not going to be able to, in essence, bail us out of this problem. But they certainly have a really important role to play if this negotiation can produce uh, a valuable framework for the countries that are losing forests to stop their loss of forests and in turn to receive really the support and the benefit that those forests are providing to the globe from the other nations. And so this is a I think this is a key area to watch closely and, and something that forests play a very big role in.
Um, I remember a few years ago in these negotiations, there was a proposal uh, called RED. Yeah, absolutely. So this is still very much uh, part of the negotiations. It's a generally called RED, which is R-E-D-D, uh, which stands for Re- Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Degradation. Uh-huh. And these days there's a plus on there, which means plus sustainable development, which is, a, is a, an acknowledgement that not only do we need to conserve these forests, but that the people who live there and, and live in these forests and around these forests uh, also need to be able to have uh, their livelihood to, to really develop and to maintain their economic livelihoods. And the general premise of this is that these negotiations can develop a financial mechanism through which countries that are interested in, in essence, paying for the services that forests are providing to the globe. So countries like Norway and, and several other Scandinavian countries have expressed a lot of interest in this can make payments to these countries that are in largely more in the tropical regions that have these very valuable forests uh, in order to help them stop cutting it down. Uh, so these, these payments are, are to protect the forests, to conserve them, and to help the local people develop sustainable livelihoods uh, in a way that doesn't involve losing the forests and their carbon storage. It's, it's, thought to be, it's thought to have a lot of promise, and there are a lot of pitfalls that we we need to do it right. There's some ways to go wrong, but it's. I think this is one of the one of the most upbeat messages and, and has the largest potential to succeed in uh, coming out of this negotiations in Paris. You know, many people I've talked to have this sense that COP21 may be the first COP where we have a natural agreement. Are, are you optimistic that there will be some a contract or agreement and whether it will be effective or not? I am largely optimistic. I see a lot of signs as to why this, uh, there's a lot of momentum coming into this. And really, for the first time, all of the key players are, are at the table and are, are bargaining in good faith. Uh, and I think that that, you know, it's, it's certainly not going to be the single day or the single negotiations where we stopped climate change and saved the planet. But you, you think of this as more of a, it's a... <laughs> It's, it's a, a multi-step process, and this is the down payment on that process. And, um, and I'm reasonably optimistic that this will be the start of seriously tackling climate change. Okay, so we're finally moving the needle. Yeah, I think we are moving the needle. Uh, you know, it's the emissions reductions that countries have committed to so far uh, will not take us to keeping climate change below 2 degrees Celsius, which is the... Uh, amount of warming that countries had said was their target, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll it'll at least it will certainly reduce the warming that we were heading towards. We're headed more towards two point seven to three point five degrees Celsius. And the the good news here is, as with a lot of other environmental pollution reduction problems, you tend we tend to find out that really addressing and reducing pollution is tends to come cheaper and faster and easier than we predicted beforehand. Uh, there's lots of examples of this in U.S. environmental policy sure. throughout the decades. And the, the thought here is that if we, it's, it's one of these building momentum processes. You take some steps, you reevaluate, and then you realize you can actually do uh, significantly more than you thought. And that's really the, the plan going forward into the future. We're running a little bit of time. Um, are there any last words you'd like to add about uh, your research or your interests in forestry and climate change? You know, I think the last thing I, I would add is 
is that really it's this is a great time to to get involved as a citizen but uh for us there are really a number of things that citizens can do to contribute to science going on both with climate change and forests and this is a, a really exciting time to be involved in, and scientists could certainly use your help one final note uh, as you mentioned about you know trying to get average citizens involved you know what are the potential saying using big data or or you know people having their own uh, you know, sensors that they can use to measure various uh, aspects of forestry or climate change? Absolutely. So there are a couple of efforts that are, uh, are trying to build the capacity for people to do that. And uh, a couple of good examples in the U.S., there's the National Phenology Network, which allows people to uh, contribute photos and help classify photos that are understanding how uh, plants are changing their phenology, which just means the timing of their life cycle, like blooming and, and losing leaves in the fall. Uh, and there is, are some growing big data efforts uh, really trying to link what average citizens see on the ground to what satellites show. These are mostly run uh, programs run by NASA, and these are, I think, all very exciting opportunities to uh, have people get involved and contribute to the science. Great. Well, that, that certainly is very exciting. Um, Professor Andrig, thank you so much for taking your time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me. And we were just talking to Professor William Andrig from the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Princeton University. We were talking about the effects of nighttime warming on plant respiration. His recent article was published in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences. And that's all for this week's edition of the Rock Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music. Da, 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 da.